Join me in the book of Ruth, Ruth chapter 2. If you have a Bible or the Bible app on a device, Ruth chapter 2. As you're turning there, um, would anyone happen to know the definition of providence, the word providence? Anyone want to take a stab at it? The definition of the word providence? Yeah. Okay. It can mean like sovereignty. All right. Anybody else? Any other thoughts? The dictionary, we'll go there, all right, defines providence, or one of the definitions of providence is to meet or supply a need, to give sustenance, to give support. And so, as we work through Ruth chapter 2 this morning, I want you to be looking for providence. I want you to be looking for needs being met. Support being given. Um, J. Vernon McGee, who is a Bible teacher and known for his Through the Bible radio teaching series, says this. He says, Providence is the hand of God in the glove of human events. Just imagine, picture that for a moment. That providence is the hand of God in the glove of human events. So let's just imagine for a moment that this glove is a where's God moment or situation happening in your life. It could be a financial situation where you are thinking, God, where are you? We need to pay the bills, and we're not sure how that's going to happen. Or maybe it is a physical need for healing, and you've just been begging God and saying, God, where are you? Maybe it's something at school and You went into the school, you're thinking you're going to have all these friends and all these different people, and it's been a lonely year, possibly. And you've been wondering, God, where are you? Or maybe it's a relationship desire. You desire to be in a relationship, and you're not. And you're wondering, God, where are you? Well, Providence says that God is the hand inside the glove of your where's God moment. That God is there. That he is active. That he is moving inside that where's God moment that you're experiencing. And as we continue in our study of Ruth chapter 2 today, we're going to see that not only does the story of Ruth remind us that God is faithful, that he is present in those where's God moments of life. And as we saw last week in chapter one, that not only can God take those bitter situations and circumstances in our life and do something better with them, not only can he redeem them, but today as we look through chapter two, we're gonna see that God is faithful to supply what his people need in those where's God moments. That God is faithful to supply what his people, what you need in your where's God moment of life. And that's the truth I want us to get a hold of this morning that I think we're really going to see in Ruth chapter 2 is that God is faithful to supply what his people, what you need in your where's God situation. Well, where do we see this in Ruth chapter 2? Well, follow along as we just kind of unpack this. 
Verse 1, now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So let's just stop there. So the writer introduces us to to this man named Boaz. And he tells us, the writer tells us, that this, this guy Boaz is a relative of Naomi's deceased husband, Elimelech. And we can read about what, what happened there in chapter 1. Now, that's not, when you, if you're just starting in chapter 2 and you're just reading that, you're like, okay, all right, there's this guy named Boaz. But it's very important. And we learn a little bit more about Boaz at the end of the chapter. So kind of fast forward to the end of chapter 2. And Naomi talks a little bit about this man named Boaz. And Verse 20, Naomi says to her daughter-in-law, Ruth, May he, Boaz, be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. So here we're introduced at the beginning of chapter 2 to this man named Boaz, who is a family relative to Naomi. And later, Naomi mentions that this man, Boaz, is a redeemer. One of their redeemers. Well, what's that mean? Well, in that culture, if a woman had lost her husband and she did not have any sons to carry on the family name or to provide for them, God had provided in his law an opportunity for someone, a male in the family, to be able to come alongside them and and care for them. And so that the family name could continue, so that they could continue to have their property and be taken care of. And the title for that male relative who was willing to do that was kinsman redeemer, or simply family savior, family rescuer. And so when Naomi is saying, hey, this Boaz, he's one of our redeemers, and the fact that the chapter starts with, hey, he's a relative of Limelech, this is a, there's something that's start, starting to brew here. There's potential hope here. And Naomi's beginning to see this, and we'll come back to this later, but she, we need to understand that this guy, Boaz, he's, he's a family relative and, potential, and potentially one of the redeemers, one of the male relatives that could come alongside and help them in their situation. And it tells us, the writer tells us, now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man. And that word worthy, some interpret that to mean that Boaz was wealthy. He had taken care of himself financially. Others interpret that to mean that he was a man of God's law, like he, he knew the scriptures. I think it could be both, and I think we see that supported in, in, in the passage, and we'll see this. But, but Boaz owns a field, and he employs many people in his field, and so he seems to be a man that had taken care of himself financially. But then, too, as we keep reading, we'll see what he says to his employees in the field. Look at verse 2. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. Now it's easy to read verse 2 and think, okay, well, the field that she's going to is Boaz field because we've just introduced him. But that's not the case. All we're doing is in verse 1 is being introduced to this guy Boaz. And then we pick it up, and Ruth says, well, I'm going to go glean in someone's field, in some guy's field, and, and hope that whoever's field I glean in, that person will just allow, give me work to do. She's not referring to Boaz in that moment. All right, and that's important. So Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, listen, I'm just going to go to a field. I'm glean, going to glean among the ears of grain after him in whose side I shall find favor. And Naomi says to her, go, my daughter. 
So Ruth sets out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. So here we have this guy, Boaz, who's a family relative of Naomi, potentially one of the redeemers who could step in and care for Naomi and Ruth and meet their physical needs. He's a worthy man, so he seems to be having taken care of himself financially. He's, he's a man of God's word, a man who, who takes God seriously and God's word seriously. And how do we know this? We know this because he owns this field and he's having people glean in the field. Well, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 9 and 10, God had given an instruction to his people. And it was kind of a, a way that God would provide for the poor in the community. And it was this, in Leviticus 9, 9 and 10, it says this, When you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields, and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. It is the same with your grape crop. Do not strip every last bunch of grapes from the vines, and do not pick up the grapes that fall to the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. So Boaz understands that, hey, one of the things that that God has instructed his people to do is to provide for the poor. And so that's what he's doing here. So he's a man who's being obedient to God's word. Now keep in mind the culture in which this is happening. God's people are in rebellion against God. There's spiritual apathy. There's kind of, it's just the the spiritual climate is, is cold and dark. There's very few people living in that day that actually cared about God, his word, and wanting to be obedient. And the book of Judges calls this period of time, everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. But not Boaz. You see, in a period of time when everyone was doing what was right in their own, own eyes, Boaz is doing what's right in God's eyes. And when everyone else was living in rebellion against God, Boaz is focusing on being obedient to God. He's caring for the poor. He's caring about God and his word and being obedient. And and let me just say this, a, a word to those ladies here who are maybe looking for a man and a young man maybe looking for a lady Ladies, you're looking for a Boaz. You're looking for a young man like Boaz, right? Who can, he's taking care of himself, cares about God and God's word and being obedient to God no matter what others say. Even in a culture when no one else seems to care about God, Boaz does. And he's putting God and God first. So you're looking for a Boaz, And gentlemen, you need to take up Boaz's workout plan. You need to look at Boaz and say, this is a young man. This is a man that cares about taking care of himself financially. And he's he's caring about being obedient to God and his word. He cares for the poor. And we're going to see how he treats Ruth in this story. And so all this is unfolding, and where do we see the providence of God? Where do we see the hand of God inside the glove of their where's God situation? We see his hand moving by introducing us to this man, Boaz, who happens to be one of their redeemers. But how else do we see the hand of God in their where's God situation? Look at verse 3. 
So Ruth sets out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. So Ruth sets out. She's like, listen, I'm going to go get work. I'm going to take care of you, Naomi, and us. And and I'm just going to go. And I'm just going to go find a field. And I'm just going to go glean in it. And says she happened to come to the field of Boaz. Well, we know that wasn't coincidence. We know that that's God orchestrating all of this. How do we know that? Proverbs 16, verse 9 says, A man plans his way, but who determines his steps? The Lord determines his steps. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 11, verse 36, he said, For from God and to God and through God are all things, even our steps, comes from God, come from God. So the direction, so you see God directing Ruth and her steps to the field of Boaz. He's guiding her. And what may look like coincidence is actually the providential hand of God inside the glove of their where's God moment. And then verses five through seven, we see God also providing work for Ruth in Boaz's field. Look at verse five. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Now, I love Boaz here in verse five. It's kind of like he's the CEO of the company and he comes down from this top floor and he's now walking the factory floor. And he's, you know, saying hi to the workers. Lord be with you. Lord bless you, boss. Lord be with you. Lord bless you, boss. Right? And all this going on. And, and he notices, this, he notices this, this, this lady. And notice how it's phrased. The question. This is brilliant. Boaz, he doesn't say, who is this? He's seeing if she's got a, got a man in her life. He says, Who's, whose is this? I think he's fishing to see if she's taken. She taken? Right? Who's, whose young woman is this? Not, hey, who's that? Who's, you know, who's caring for her? Just kind of curious. You know, just wondering. Whose young woman is this? And so the shift manager on duty is like, well, hey, this is uh, Ruth. She came back from, uh, you know, Moab with her mother-in-law, Naomi, and she's just they're having a rough time. Rough time financially, difficult time. And so she came up and she said, hey, can I work here? And we gave her permission to work and she'd been working since early morning. And so now Boaz is starting to learn a little bit about this young lady named Ruth. And you see God providing work for Ruth in Boaz's field. She says, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. God is providing work for Ruth in Boaz's field. God's doing this. No, no, let me just say a little word about work. Work is good. You're like, what? Come on, man. It is. How do I know this? Because God gave Adam, the very first man he created, work, a job before sin ever came into the world. He said, I I have a job for you. I want you to take care of the garden. I want you to take care of the earth and subdue it. It's a job. And, and I want you to take care of all, all these things. So God gave Adam a job to do before sin ever came into the world. See, work isn't bad. 
It's, it's good. In fact, God had given Adam a job to do, and he looked at everything he'd made, and he said, it is very good. God said that. Now, what makes work hard is sin. Work became hard after sin came into the world. And so the reason why you and I, and we sweat on the job, and we're like, Ugh, you know, just about our job, and it's like, oh, seriously, and because of sin. Work is hard because work is good, but it's hard because of sin. And here we see God providing work for Ruth as a means for him to provide for she and Naomi. Work is good. I remember one of my first jobs ever. I was about 14 years of age, freshman in high school, and a buddy of mine, his name was John Menard. John was a farm boy, and he said, Mark, I've got a job for us. I got this uh, neighbor is a farmer, and he wants us to come out to his barn and do some work in his barn. He said, you can work all day, and it'll pay like 100 bucks or something. I don't, probably wasn't that much. It wasn't, it wasn't that much. Um, now, this was back like in the 1800s, so anyway, so that was, so, so I'm like, yeah, I'm all in. I can't work anywhere else. You know, I need some, I need some cash flow, so I'm in, right? So my parents take me to the barn with John Menard, and we get out to the barn, and the farmer comes out, and he says, hey, I want you to clean out the barn, all right? Little did we know that was in the barn, was caked on the floor of the barn was just sheep dung. Like, I'm telling you, it was like, you could walk on top, it was like cement. It was, and I didn't know that about sheep, okay, um, at all. But I just remember, and he gave us a shovel and a pickaxe, and he said, go at it. Are you kidding me? Seriously, I'm going to do this all day? Right? All day. And so here I am in this barn with John Menard, and I'm going, what on earth have I gotten myself into with a pickaxe and a shovel all day trying to break up this stuff, right? And all day, and it was awful. It was horrible. I, I've never experienced a worse job in my life, I think, as far as the smell and just, it was so bad. But at the end of the day, we did get paid. So it was kind of nice. Right? Get paid. The, the job was, was good to have because it provided. But it was hard and stinky and smelly and horrible because of sin. Right? And I think there's an important lesson here that God is providing work for Ruth as a means to provide for she and Naomi. Work is good. Right? And... and I think we can learn something here that maybe we should stop complaining about work and learn to embrace it. And just recognize that, yes, work is good. It's hard because of sin. Right? And so if you have a job, thank God for it. And if you don't have a job, make your job finding a job because it's good. It's good. It's hard, but, but it's good. And God uses work as a way that he can provide for our needs. And he does the same thing here with Ruth so that she can use this work in Boaz's field to meet the needs of she and Naomi. And now we move into verse 8, pretty much to verse 16. And if you love Hallmark, anybody like Hallmark, Hallmark movies? Come on, admit it. Seriously? Guys, you, whatever. All right. So we love it. All right? No shame. No shame, family. All right? We love Hallmark movies. Christmas time, we love it. 
All right, we'll sit down and we'll watch as many Hallmark Christmas movies as we possibly can. My favorite is A Christmas Card. If you haven't seen it, shame on you. It's a great one. Love Hallmark movies. They're predictable, right? You know what's going to happen, and we know that. And that's why you don't like them. They're predictable. Come on, every movie's predictable. Get over it. All right? So we love them. And you know what's going to happen? Guy meet girl, girl meet guy. And at some point, she's going to have cookie icing on her cheek, or he's going to have snow on his cheek or a smudge of dirt, and the other one's going to come off, come over and just like wipe it off. I mean, that's like, that happens in every one. And we look forward to it. <laughs> we can't wait for that moment. We're like, when's it going to happen? What do you think? Right? Well, if you love Hallmark, this story is about to turn into a Hallmark. If you don't like Hallmark, this might make you want to like Hallmark. Because this story is about to turn into a really serious love story right now. And what we're going to see is, as God begins to work this, this story out between Boaz and Ruth, you're going to see really the faithful love of God for his people. And Boaz's faithful way that he loves Ruth. So let's take a look. Verse 8. Boaz says to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And Grant alluded to this a little earlier, that in that culture, if a woman was gleaning in a field, there was a possibility that men who were working in another field might see her and come over and take advantage of her and assault her. In fact, Naomi mentions this at the end of the chapter. If you look at um, verse 22, and Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So Ruth kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning into the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So what's Boaz doing here? He's providing protection for her. He's caring for her. He's saying, no, 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 listen, you stay close. You stay in my field. I've, you stay here. So he, he's providing care for her and protects her, kind of like a parent that brings, when you realize you're kind of maybe in a situation with your kids that might not be so good, you kind of get them close, right? Grab their hand, pull them in a little. That's kind of, I think, what he's doing here. He's like, hey, I recognize that there's potential danger, so come close. He's protecting her. And then he says in verse 9, and when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Verse 10, then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am an immigrant? I'm a foreigner. And so here Boaz is protecting her, and then he says, listen, I want you to be okay. When the young men bring out the water cooler, I want you to go get water. And I was, th- I was reading, like, well, big deal. What's that? Why, is that? why is that important? Why does he mention that? And it's interesting, her response, in that moment, she's like, why have you found favor on me? I'm a foreigner. And I don't know exactly why Boaz says this, like gives her permission to go to the water cooler if she's thirsty. Here's what I think. Ruth is a Moabite. She's not a Jew. She's a Gentile. And there's potential that maybe there was racism happening potentially within, or the potential for that. And And to settle Ruth's heart, he says, listen, no, 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 no. You're welcome here. You go get water from the Jewish water cooler. It's okay. You're welcome here. 
Don't know that for sure, but I think because of her response in that moment, she's like, man, you are really caring for me, and I'm not even one of yours. I'm not a Jew. I'm a Moabite. And so he welcomes her graciously. And then verse 11, but Boaz answers her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And now we see his heart, right? We said, man, I just, I've heard about you, Ruth. I've heard about how gracious you are and how selfless you are. And I just want you to know that God is here. And now you're, you're in the land of God, in the presence of God. And, and he's, you're here now, and he's going to take care of you. You see him just focusing on the Lord and reminding or pointing her back to God that God's going to take care of you. You're under his wings. Then in verse 13, and she says, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant. So the way Boaz was talking to her was a, a, a means of comfort and kindness. And then verse 14 through 16, and at mealtime, Boaz says to her, this is kind of like picture the Hallmark movie right now. He's like, oh man, I really like her. So he's going to go all out. He's going to try to woo her. If you don't know what woo is, go go ahead. All right, woo, he's gonna woo her. And at mealtime, Boaz says to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed her roasted grain. Just picture this going on. And she ate until she was satisfied. She had some leftovers. So he's like, hey, come sit at my table. Here's some bread, here's some wine, here's some roasted grain. And she just eat until you're satisfied. Beautiful, I love it. Such grace that he gives. He's just lavishing, he's just lavishing kindness and grace on her. I love it. Until she has some left over. Verse 15, when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And then check this out. This is so cool. Verse 16, and also, this is what Boaz said, pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean. Do not rebuke her. He's like, hey, let's put some extra little sheaves of grain in the field where we know where she's going to glean. Check this out, guys. Learn from my lesson. He's like teaching these young men, this is how you woo a girl. Put some extra grain in the field and where she's going to be working. And so she'll be like, have all this extra stuff. And you see what he's doing? He's like, yeah, I love, this is a, he's like a track. He's like, all right, let's just take care of her. Let's meet her need. Start to see the love, start to, you know, percolate a little bit. All right. That's a good word. Percolate. Um. Then verse 10, look at verse 10. Go back there, because I, I, I think her response to Boaz is so beautiful. And there's a lesson there for us too. Then she falls on her face, bowing to the ground, and says to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? As I was reading this, I'm like, what a beautiful response. Isn't that, shouldn't that be our response to our, to our God? But God demonstrated his own love for us that while we were still sinners, while we were separate from God, when we weren't even close to God, when we were outsiders from God, he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us to bring us in. And I was reading that, I'm going, what a beautiful response from Ruth. She falls on her face, bowing to the ground and says, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? That's our response. God, why have I found favor in your eyes that you would take notice of me? A sinner. A sinner. And we see Boaz's grace and kindness and God providing for Ruth through Boaz. And, well, how do we know that all this is from God? Look at Naomi's response, verses 17 through 20. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. She took it up and went to the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. 
She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to Ruth, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Now, up to this point, Naomi has no clue that Ruth has been in Boaz's field. So can you imagine what, what Naomi's feeling in that moment? You were in Boaz's field? Yeah! Woo! Do you realize what, what could happen here? Do you realize this? That, he's one of our redeemers. This might be God's way of taking care of us. That he would provide for us and meet our need through Boaz. And do you see the hand of God inside the glove of their where's God situation But all of this? God is doing something. He is working. He is supplying what his people need in the time when they need it. It's beautiful. And I love Naomi's response. Verse 20, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed. May Boaz be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness, and I think she's referring to the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi's going, God is up to something in all this. And he's beginning to see the change happen in Naomi, where she's going, now I see God's hand. I'm beginning to see God's hand in all of this. And that not only is he caring for us, the living, but there's potential that if Boaz, it becomes the kinsman redeemer, he will carry on the family name of my husband and my boys. And so God's caring for us. He's going to take care of us. He's supplying what we need. David Guzik says this. He says, is this the same woman who came into town saying, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me? Is this the same woman who said the Almighty has afflicted me? Of course it is. Now she sees more of God's plan unfolding so she can see better how all things are working together for good for those who love God. And the truth that we got to see in Ruth chapter 2 is that God is faithful to supply what his people need in the where's God moments of life. Well, where else do we see this? We see this at the cross. We see this in Jesus at the cross. But God demonstrated his own love for us that while we were still sinning, Jesus died for us. Our where's God situation was that we are sinners. You are a sinner. Dead in your sins, Paul wrote in Ephesians 2. Separate from God without hope if you're here without Jesus. And God knows that is your where's God situation. And so in the moment of you being a sinner separate from God, he sends his only son to die on a cross for you, to bring you in. He becomes your redeemer. He does what you can't do for yourself. He saves you. He rescues you from your sin and brings you close to him. And so we see this not only in the story of Ruth, but we see this in the cross of Jesus Christ and the empty tomb. So what now? As the band comes, what now? What's the Spirit of God saying to you in this this morning? If you would just kind of close your eyes, bow your heads for a moment. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, can I just invite you to recognize your where's God situation, who you are without Jesus? That you are dead in your sins, the scripture said. You are lost. And that guilt and that shame that you have from your sin, Jesus can set you free from that. That's why he went to the cross. 
And maybe for you, the, re- the what now, the response is simply for you to just turn from your sin, surrender from that sin and that shame and that guilt, and surrender your life over to Jesus, trusting in him and his cross and his death on that cross and his empty tomb to make you free. And so my invitation to you this morning is just to simply receive Jesus. Just receive him as your redeemer, as your redeemer. If you're here and you are a follower of Jesus, then I just want to invite you to look back, take a moment right where you sit and just think back through your life and see the hand of God inside the glove of your where's God moments. Do you see him?